All right, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to try and get down to verse 6. The title is called The Unique Work of Faith. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And we'll stop right there and we'll pick up with uh, Noah next week. But a unique work of faith. This chapter is meant to show these believers, these Hebrew believers, that it's always been by faith. And that the heroes of their faith... um, were men and women of faith as well, just like he's calling them to believe in Jesus of Nazareth as the Messiah, as that one that's come according to the order of Melchizedek, that offered himself up once and for all, the one who provides the better sacrifice, the one who is uh, ministering to them and interceding for them, the one who's going to come back for them. He says, you need to have faith in him as the anchor of your soul. What I'm asking you to do is not anything different than has ever happened in the history of the world. And he's going to take us back to the very first thing we read in the Bible and say, look, it's always been by faith. It's never been apart from faith. So he's going to call them to Walk it out in faith. They esteemed faith. They they would have easily saw the value of that. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's not writing to people that are materialists and don't want anything to do with a faith walk. He's writing to people that are men and women of faith but are feeling challenged in this transition uh, to accept Jesus Christ as that final sacrifice. And, you know... Our generation, though, that we live in is a generation that mocks faith. It's a generation that looks down upon people of faith and just kind of like, oh, you poor little person. You believe and have faith in Jesus. Isn't that cute? But for somebody like me, I'm astute, I'm tuned in, I'm intellectually, you know, honest, and I've got to have all the facts and all the evidence before I believe in anything. Not true. That's not true. They may want to say that as it applies to their faith in God, but I assure you, just have a discussion among yourselves. What are the ways in which all people, even the most staunchest materialist, has to have faith in this world? If you think about it, everything that is most dear and precious to you is based upon faith and trust. What's most dear and precious to you? It all has names. They're people. And you cannot have a meaningful, deep relationship with a person apart from faith or trust. 
I mean, we, we, a lot of times we'll say this when there's been something's gone wrong. I just can't trust them anymore, which means I can't have the same kind of relationship that I used to have. That closeness and that intimacy, I can't have that anymore because they have violated that trust and so it's gone away. And that's, sometimes that's how we, maybe easier to see it in that negative light than the positive light, but the positive is there. The people you love the most and are most meaningful to you are the people that you have the greatest degree of trust or faith or belief in. That's the way it works. It is impossible to live this life in that manner. In verse 1, he says, faith is the evidence of the unseen world. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence. Here's the assurance of, of those truths, those things that are hoped for. Your faith. There's your evidence. You want evidence? Here's your evidence. Faith. Look at people that have faith. Now the world will look at that and they'll say, we, we, don't, we don't value that. We don't like that. But listen, they're not the creator of the universe. They're not the one that's reconciling man to, back to God. It is God who's doing it. And God in his sovereignty, in his omniscience, chose to make faith the key issue. He could have done, I mean, it's not like he was, had a shortage of ideas. He's the omniscient one. He's all-knowing. He's sovereign. It was his game. He could have done it any way he wanted to. And he says, I'm going to put faith in here. And he's like, well, why couldn't it have been just by, you know, facts? Because you don't want to have relationships with people in your life based upon mere facts. You want there to be this element of trust and belief. Now, you, you gain that based upon the person's character. But who is the character of God? One that's completely trustworthy. And so the Lord wants this relationship with him to be meaningful as well. What are the things we hope for? Forgiveness of sin. What else do we hope for? The abundant life. Eternal life. The second coming of Jesus. Living for and ruling with him. I mean, these are all things that we, we have hope and we have believe in, belief in. So those are the certain hopes and expectations. And our faith is the assurance that those promises will be ours. Our faith is the assurance that those promises are going to be ours. Our believer's faith is the outward tangible evidence of the things that are not visible to the human eye. How do I know I'm going to be in heaven? You look at my faith. Look at my faith that I have in the word of God. And that it should be an evidence to you that these things exist. And, and so this is the way God has put it together. He's reminding them of the force of faith. The world cries out for evidence and God says, here's your evidence believe. And for many, they're like, I just won't have anything to do with that. Anyone who would reduce what is believable only to those things which you can see, touch, smell, hear, and taste, and be known through some uh, scientific process is, regu uh, is uh, regulated or relegating, excuse me, relegating themselves to a very small body of information. Now, it's a lot of information as we think about it right now, but there is a ton of things that it cannot be known that way. There's all kinds of things in life like that. There's going to be a whole eternity that's going to be known and discovered and realized of the knowledge and the wisdom of God that we haven't even began to think upon. 
And so the person says, I'm a materialist. I've got to see it in front of me. First of all, I disagree with you that you have to have all things evidenced before you. And I, there's a thousand examples that could give, like you going through a green light. Have you ever driven in Lynchburg? I mean, I'm telling you, this is like dangerous things. And people love to run red lights in this town. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you go through it. How do you know people are going to, how do you know the engineer on his way out just didn't say, you know what? I'm going to make everything green at the same time. I mean, you, you have faith in people. And you, you can think about it. There's, you put faith in doctors. We don't even know their GPA. Well, you know, so have, you ever seen, have you ever gone to doctor? hey, what was your GPA? I, I, I think that's probably not a bad question to ask. But, you know, it's like, and I've shared this with before. When I went and had back surgery 10 years ago, I asked the guy, I said, don't be offended when I ask this question. He kind of sat up and situated himself, actually went to the church, and I said, are you good? He says, am I good? I said, are you a good surgeon? He goes, yes, I, I am a good surgeon. I said, what's the national, I asked these questions. They go, what's the national average for this procedure? And he says, 90% success rate. I go, what's yours? He goes, 93. I said, okay, that's good. And so I said, in terms of, you know, things you do as a surgeon, is this like, man, that's easy and that is in my wheelhouse and I hit this out of the park or is that like, well, I'm hoping to get better. And he said, he's just laughing. He goes, nobody's ever asked me these questions before. I'm like, well, sorry. And I said, so the answer is, you know, and he gave me the answer and I had the back surgery and it went great. So the point is we, we put trust in people all the time. What do you mean? I, I'm not going to believe in anything. I can't. You got to put faith and trust in people. And the Lord has said, this is what you have to do if you want to come to me. This isn't to suggest that we blindly, uh, blindly place faith in the in the Bible and his teachings. The Bible is easily shown by the standards for qualifying the reliability of historical documents to be the most reliable. You have prophecy, people speaking of things that are going to happen a thousand years before they happen, and they happen. So we, we're putting trust in a document, uh, a book that has proven itself to be trustworthy and reliable. Does that mean you have evidence for everything that it promises, well, your faith is evidence. But if you mean, is there some other way, like a date on the calendar, some of these things, the date on the calendar is going to be when you're in heaven. And then you're going to see and you're going to realize God has chosen faith to be the means of relationship with him. And so we can't get around that. Let me read to you a quote by Thomas Lee. He says, eyesight produces a conviction about objects in the physical world. Faith produces the same convictions for the invisible order. I like that. We look at things with our physical eyes and we're like, okay, I see what needs to be done. I see what's out there. I'm able to evaluate that. Well, we don't discount that. Well, faith produces the same convictions for the invisible order. Faith shows itself by producing assurance that, we, that what we hope for will happen. Faith also provides an insight into realities which otherwise remain unseen. A person with faith lets the unseen realities from God provide a living, effective power for daily life. This is exciting stuff to me. As people that have faith in God, 
we have opened to us this unseen realm. Not that we're making it up as we go, but we have the word of God this time of this unseen realm. The God who dwells outside of our space and time domain has said, here's information about things that are yet to come. Now, believe in that, and I'm going to give you the faith to believe in it. If you have faith to believe the promises of God, you are uh, a, a person that has a unique gift. So don't feel ashamed of having faith. Feel sorry for those that don't have faith. I don't mean humiliate them and patronize them, but have a genuine, oh my gosh, you can't see. You can't see these things. And I can see them and believe them as much as I can see you and believe it. I think it's really important for us that not only do we have faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead and is coming back to forgive us of our sins and bring us into relationship with God. That's the object of our faith. And it all begins right there. But there's another, there are other aspects of faith that are, that are not like that, but they're, they're leading and guiding moments in our life where the Lord will say, I want you to do this. I want you to go here. I want you to do that. I want you to draw back. I want you to trust me for these things. And when we do them and we step out and we, we, we actually, well, all right, I think the Lord is telling me to do this. I'm going to step out. I'm going to see what happens. And then you find what you believed God was telling you and you had faith in that that's exactly what he wanted. That strengthens you. Not only for that moment in that event you went, just went through, but it also gives you kind of like the, a, 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 the ability to test it out, to test your faith out, if you will, in this right now. But if you're a person, I'm not, I'm not going to walk by faith. I got my own things I got to do. I'm not interested in that. I mean, I want Jesus for salvation, but I'm not going to live a life of faith. Okay, that's a shame. And I think you're going to totally regret that in this life and the life to come. I'm not saying you're not going to be saved, but... When you do that, you have something that encourages you. And you're like, I know that having faith is a real thing. And that when you step out. So, I mean, when we came here, um, you know, back in 1994, I didn't know what was, I, we had no idea what was going to go on. I had some thoughts about what would happen in planting a church in Lynchburg, Virginia. I, I you know, but none of them um, there was nothing I could look at and say, oh, this is definitely going to work. I mean, everything seemed like, you know, I didn't. I had people, I had pastors in this town tell me, don't go. I had a stranger on the airplane saying, I don't know if I'd start a church in Lynchburg, Virginia. That's like, and all these experiences are telling me not to do that. And yet I felt that's exactly what the Lord was telling us to do. Now, here 28 years later, you know, getting up and coming to, uh, worship with you all and to study the word of God together. I mean, this, that was easy today. That was easy. But when I was getting on the plane in August of 1994, it was a huge step of faith. But now I've, I've watched what I believe God was wanting to do. He has done and is doing. And so I can look and say, what was faith is now I've been able to experience the reality of it. But there are many aspects of our faith that are not going to be reality until we are in the presence of Jesus, right? You're not going to experience eternal life until you have passed from this one. So I would encourage you to see your faith as not 
something that is second class or second rate or wish God. No, this is the way God did it for his purposes, for his glory. He wants us to trust him. Who doesn't want people to trust them? We all want that. Verse 2 speaks of how faith is God's standard for being accepted. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. So, again, as I said in the intro, it's always been by faith. People have always come to the Lord through faith. Now, these believers were used to the tangible Levitical system of offering, right? When you got near to the temple, you could see a physical building. You could see it. As you got closer, you could smell. There was an aroma that was coming off the mountain. You, do you know what that aroma was? Well, they were offering up animals all day long on a huge fire. What do you think it smelled like? Barbecue. I, I'm not trying to trivialize it. It was roasting flesh. And so as you got close to the temple, you could smell the worship that was going on. When you brought your animals, sometimes you would take it back. If it was a peace offering, you would take it back and you would eat it. You could taste the offering. There was a, the incense and the fragrances. You could smell those. You could watch an animal go from life to death and the blood to be poured out. It hit all of your senses. And now they're being told, Jesus, he is no longer that priest that you see all dressed up now. That's not the one that that's taking care of you. It's Jesus, according to the order of Melchizedek, who's at the right hand of the Father, that offered himself up once for all. Believe in that. Believe that Jesus is the final one. So he said, listen, I'm asking you to have faith, but everybody has always had to have faith in order to have a good standing before the Lord. Verse three, faith explains our origin. So this is really uh, probably the first example so he's calling them to have faith in Jesus of Nazareth as the anchor of their soul. Don't look to the Levitical system. That which God once established has been superseded by Jesus. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. This would have been something they would have immediately said, well, of course we believe that God is a creator of the universe. These were believers. These were those that had been raised up with the Old Testament scriptures. The first thing that you read in the Bible is that God created the world. And that he spoke it into existence. And he says, we understand that God framed, uh, the worlds were framed by the word of God. And that the things that are seen, they're not made with things that are, are, are visible. They're, they were made with things you can't see. In other words, God did not go to the cosmic Home Depot of the universe and get all everything that he needed to make planet Earth and brought it together and started constructing this amazing uh, creation. He spoke it into existence. Imagine the power of the word of God. The force, the energy that was in God's word when he spoke and things that, that did not exist and had never existed suddenly came together and materialized, both on the microscopic and on the grand scale. He brought all of these things into existence. One author 
writes and says, this passage reminds us that all of creation was new, not made from pre-existent materials. The visible world did not come from anything that can be seen. God called the universe into existence out of nothing. He declared that it was to be, and it was. He says, you have faith in God that he created this world. Now, many would have us and our children believe that this world is here by chance and by accident and that it was the result of gases coming together and explosion and everything kind of settled down eventually and things came together and there was enough information for a process to begin. But the big question is, where did the information come from? If there's information, there must be an informant, right? If there's knowledge, somebody must know something. I've used this illustration before, but if you're walking on the beach and you saw a heart on the, the, the sand by the shore, what do you think of when you see that? It's a piece of information. What do you think of? Do you think, man, what a strange tide it was last night, that there's a heart on the beach. That's just amazing that the waves could come up, and when it went out, that it, it formed this perfect shape, and that it put initials with a plus sign between them. Wow. Now, that's like, that is such a, that's low data, right? That's low information. It's so simple, and yet we see something so simple as a heart with initials in it. We say, oh, two people are in love. They're on the beach together, and they put this together, wrote this down, and they're probably laughing and having fun. We, We draw a lot out of that heart. Nobody thinks, oh, yeah, this was the tide. You know, this this was just something random that took place. If an archaeologist is trying to, you know, find out information about some ancient people and he goes into a cave and in this cave he or she finds, you know, um, these stick images of like horses and it looks like buffalo and there's spears and there's all this going on, they're going to be like amazed. They're going to be, wow, we found this. They're going to take pictures. They're going to write papers. It's going to be in journals. And all it is is stick figures. On a cave. Try telling that archaeologist, yeah, you know what you got here is actually, it's just the moisture in the wall and there's a lot of bats in here, it's bat droppings and the way it came down, it just looks like this. It's like, no, this is clearly a picture of, you know, ancient people hunting. And there, you go through it. So, well, of course it is. But again, that's pretty low information. And then you think about creation and the intricacies and the amount of knowledge that exists in our DNA. And we're supposed to believe that that came from nothing? What is created that came from nothing? Everything we buy, everything we own, where we live, what we drive, all of it is created. The Lord is creator. And so by faith, we understand that the worlds were made. Now, we don't have this as scientific fact. We believe we weren't there. And we believe that science supports this idea. But we don't have a fact. This is something that happened in the past. But guess what? So does the evolutionist. The evolutionist has to have what? They have to have faith too. Or they'll say, no, this is just scientific data. No, they've got to have faith. They were not there. So this is not a question of whether or not you're going to believe in something um, without faith or not. Both are required. We just tend 
What we do believe is that God brought all this into existence. So for them, he says, listen, you believe that God created this amazing amount of faith, that God created the existing world. I'm asking you to have faith that Jesus Christ is your Savior, the final sacrifice. You've done it once. You do it now. You should continue to. You know, Romans chapter 1, verse 20 through 23 says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now they may want us to feel foolish, but God's evaluation of those who dismiss creator is that they are foolish. And in their own wisdom, they're professing to really know something, but they're actually foolish. So creation is an important part of our faith. And so when people are like, well, I just don't, you know, I just believe this is, you know, this all came about for nothing. Well, you have a lot, you have a problem because the Bible writes like this all the time and says that he created do we understand everything? Is every answer, or has every question been answered about this? No, it's not. But one day it will be. And we have enough to know that this is the way things work now, and it's the way it worked in the beginning, so says God. Verse 4, move to another example. It's an example of an early a person in the creation story. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. So you can read as a cross-reference here, Genesis 4, 1 through 10. This is where you get the account of um, Abel and Cain coming. So these are the first two children of Adam and Eve, and they're coming with sacrifices, now, we don't read God said bring sacrifices, but somewhere along the way, he told them to bring sacrifices, and he told them what sacrifices to bring. And so Abel does this. He brings a sacrifice, uh, an animal, and offers it up. And we know that the shedding of blood gives a covering for sin. And so as he did this, he, was, he obtained this witness of being righteous. But, but now Cain said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to bring, um, you know, something from the harvest. It's not that that is never acceptable. There were times in which you would bring that. We've been going through uh, the Old Testament on Wednesday night. We've been reading about all these sacrifices. Sometimes they brought the grain and they bring the wheat and they'd offer these things up to the Lord. But they weren't for making you righteous. These things were, were not the shedding of blood by where we find remission of sin. They, they are another aspect of worship. And so God had revealed this to Cain and Abel. And Abel was obedient and he came and he offered up exactly what God wanted. He accepted his system for worship. Cain said, I'm going to do it my way. I have a different way that I want to do it. And the parallel is obvious to this generation. You had the Levitical system that has now been surpassed, and now it is Jesus Christ. Don't be like Cain that ignores how God wants man to come and worship, which is through Jesus Christ. Be like Abel 
come and obey and worship in the way in which he is uh, requiring it, and you will find that you will be righteous before the Lord. So faith honors God's requirements. God has said, come this way. Come through my son. Well, I don't think I need to come through the son. I think I want to come this way. Well, you're just like Cain. You're just like Cain, and Cain was not accepted. Cain's offering was rejected. He could have brought the right offering, but he didn't because he wanted to do it his way. You are, and myself, we are created beings who are not in charge of the universe. We have, a sin, we have sinned and offended a holy God, and he says, you can come back to me. I want you to come back to me, and I'm going to have you come back through me, to me through this, this offering of love. My son, come this way. I said, well, I don't want to come that way. I'm going to come that way. You can do that, but understand you're not going to be accepted. God has laid down how we should come to him, and that is through faith and trust in his son. Then verses 5 and 6, we see that faith pleases God. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, this is one of those interesting verses, isn't it? Again, Genesis chapter 5 gives us the background. Genesis 5, 18 through 23. The Lord, Enoch was walking with the Lord, and all of a sudden he was gone. And we hear that he was taken away. He was raptured. He was taken up, caught up to be with the Lord. It sounds like people were looking for him, doesn't it? It says he was not found. Like, where's Enoch? I don't know. He went out for a walk. And now he's no longer here. He's gone. There's only two people in Scripture that have never died. Do you know who they are? Elijah and Enoch. And, and so Enoch was one of those. You know, what we find in the account there in Genesis, it says that he walked with God and was not. That reminds me of what we read in the earlier chapters in Genesis, where Adam was, would come, where God would come and walk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. And there was this fellowship that was happening. And Enoch is walking with God. He's obeying him in, a, in an ever-increasing, perverse world. And he's pleasing the Lord. He's walking with him. He's not giving in. He's remaining pure with what God required. And all of a sudden, the Lord is like, you know what? I love hanging out with you. Just come on up here. And he brings him up. And there he is in the presence of the Lord. Enoch had faith. And he walked with God. In the midst of a, again, an ever increasingly perverse generation. In a similar way, we as believers have a hope of never dying. Now, there will be one generation of the church that's going to be alive when the rapture happens, when Jesus calls the church up into heaven with him. Maybe it's our generation. I think the Lord would have it that every generation of the church lives and thinks and believes that he's coming back in their day. He says he's coming soon. He says he's standing at the door. He says, hasten the coming of the Lord. Be waiting for the Lord. These are all uh, commands that tell us to live like he's coming back. 
It's like, well, what if I do that and he doesn't come back in my generation? Well, you're going to him. End result's the same. You're still going to be in the presence of the Lord. But having that hope has a profound impact upon our lives. And the people around us who watch us live with this hope. We don't set dates. We don't have a calendar out, so I think he's coming at this time. We are just to live with the expectation that he can come back at any moment. We're living in a godless world, and we are called to remain unspotted. We are called to walk with God like Enoch walked with God. So we're to have a faith that pleases God. And that's the last phrase there in verse 5. He pleased God. The way in which Enoch lived his life brought the Lord pleasure. And that should be something that is important to us. And verse 6 kind of brings that home and and really emphasizes this whole, it's like an expansion of that last phrase in verse 6. He pleased God. And then then verse 6 comes. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it is only by faith. It's only by faith. There's no other way to come to the Lord. And what we first see is that he created him for his pleasure. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Revelation 4.11 says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will, or some translations, and for your pleasure, they exist and were created. You and I were created to please God, to please him. That's his plan for your life. That's his plan for my life, is that I bring pleasure. Paul, writing to the Colossians, says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Our life is to bring pleasure to the Lord. And that's how Enoch lived his life. And without this, it's, you can't please the Lord apart from walking by faith. So those who want to approach him in some way other than faith, God says, I will not accept it. I will not receive it. It is only through faith that you can come to me. So we're created for his pleasure, and only our faith will please him. So think about this in your own life. Is there pleasure that the Lord has in you as he looks upon your life? Does he look at your fruit? Does he look at the works of righteousness? And does he say, that pleases me, the way they live for me? You know, really... It's faith that leads me to walk in obedience to the Lord, isn't it? God says, walk this way, live this way. Touch this, don't touch that. Faith leads me to walk in obedience to him. Now, if I don't have faith, then I'm not going to walk in obedience. I look and I think, well, I know it says that, but I don't see what the big deal is. I'm going to do this and I'm going to live this way and I'm going to do that anyway because that's what I want. If you say, well, yeah, but this is what brings me pleasure. But we are to live to please the Lord, not ourself. And in living to please the Lord, you will have the greatest amount of pleasure in this life. That's the way it works. Because you are fulfilling your created purpose. And so when we disobey the Lord, 
it is a testimony that we have a lack of faith. I, I don't trust the Lord with my finances. I don't trust my Lord, you know, in relationships. I don't trust the Lord about sexual purity. I don't trust the Lord about telling the truth. I don't trust the Lord, and you can go down the line. Whatever it is, wherever we have sinned, and we all do it, whenever that happens, you know at that moment, I have a shortage of faith in God. Because if I had faith, faith in the Lord, then I would obey. And I wouldn't give in to the temptation. I wouldn't give in to the impulses. I wouldn't give in to the pressure. I wouldn't give in to the crowd. I obey the Lord and I seek to please him. And in pleasing him, I know that I'm going to find the ultimate pleasure. Jesus said, if you seek to live for yourself, you're going to lose your life. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. What else? We are to have faith that he exists, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. This is a, a most basic element, yet one that many people struggle with, is believing that there is a God. Do you believe that there is a God? Well, how do you have such faith? Well, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that that faith is what? It's a gift. Uh, I, you know, not to look down upon, not to place ourselves above, and certainly not to patronize. But I want you to think about this. If you believe that there is a God and that he has sent his son, Jesus Christ, and you have faith and trust in him, you are on a narrow path of human history. The Lord is giving you this faith. And if you're like, well, I don't have that faith, well, then we encourage you to believe today. Believe. Well, I don't believe that nonsense. Well, then you're not on that path then. But if you will come to the Lord, he will not turn anyone away. God's not willing that any should perish. Whosoever will come. Be one of the whosoever's that will come. That you might have. That Ask the Lord to give you faith. But this is not some generic belief that there is some cosmic force out there in God. No, it's a specific biblical faith that we have been given. Here's another aspect of what we should have faith in God is faith that he is generous and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God wants us to worship believing that he is gracious and the giver of good gifts. In the Old Testament, one of the commandments that God gave to the nation of Israel to deal with uh, how to treat poor people in their land, he says that you should have an open hand to the poor of the land. So you got people that are needy for money and for food. And he says, those of you that have money and food, you should come up to people like that and your hands should be open. If that's what he requires of us with those in need, don't you think that that is a reflection of him? You are not more generous than God. You are not more benevolent than he is. He wants you to come to him and believe that he wants to give to you, that he's generous, that he's a rewarder of those who come after him. You will not be put to shame for trusting in Jesus Christ. On that last day, when you breathe your last on here on planet Earth and die as one of faith, you will enter into a realm that you've been believing in and it will no longer be by faith. It will be your experience. It will be your reality. It will be the fact of your life. 
And you're going to receive. You're not going to think, oh, man, Jesus wasn't the right way. No, you're not going to think that for a second. You're going to be rewarded because of your faith in Jesus Christ. He's generous. So many people have such a wrong view of God. And I just encourage you to think about your faith. What is it like? Do you believe God is a tight-fisted benefactor that's got to be convinced to let the goods go? Or do you think he's your heavenly father that has an open hands that says, just come and ask? That's who he is. And lastly, he says that faith diligently seeks him. He's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Although we come in faith, we come realizing that God desires to bless us. So we do come with diligence. We should be putting at least as much effort in the most meaningful relationship we have in this earth. If I'm going to care for and protect and uh, develop a friendship or relationship or uh, the relationship with my wife, if I'm going to do that with a person, then certainly I should do that in my relationship with God all the more. I must be diligent in my pursuit of the Lord and faith diligently seeks God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and your truth that calls us to have faith, to trust, and to believe. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. I pray that you have worked in our hearts already, bringing us to this conclusion that we are privileged people to have faith. What a unique gift we've been given in this faith to trust you and to believe in you. I want you just to ponder this topic of faith for a second as we close. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. As an act of your will, you need to commit yourself into this relationship with him, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, and that as you come to him, he will cleanse you, and he will give you the hope of eternal life. He died for your sins, and he rose from the dead for your justification. And so your sins are forgiven, and you can know that you're going to have a place in heaven with him. Pray and put your faith and trust in the Lord. But maybe you're a one that's already done that. And yeah, you, man, your faith is shaky. You can feel it. Nobody knows it. You've not said a word to anybody else. But man, in your heart, you know. You know the tide is shifting. You can feel it happening. Ask the Lord to strengthen your faith. Allow this passage to lead you and guide you on how to live your life. Don't try and be a man or a woman of faith on the sidelines of faith and expect for that faith to feel meaningful and significant. Engage in it. Walk with it. Seek him. Obey him. And watch him work and move in your life. Lord, we want to be people of faith, not just saving faith, Lord. We want to be people that walk with you, like Enoch. We want to be people that are pleasing you. That when you say move, we move. When you say stop, we stop. Lord, give us a fresh feeling of faith this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.